You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. What's up, music lovers? You are digging the Modern Musicology Podcast. My name is Alan, and with me I have DJ and journalist Rob Levy. Hey, kids. Former Aquanetta's drummer, current solo artist, bird enthusiast, Stephanie Seymour. Hi, everybody. And sadly, our buddy Anthony is out of town again this weekend. So we should have him back on next week's show. But for tonight, we have a good buddy of ours, J.M. Tuffley. What's going on, Tuff? Hey, hey, guys. Um, I'm here for the podcast well check because I was here on the early ones and then went away. So just making sure you guys are OK. Making sure everybody's copacetic. <laughs> right. I'll go okay. off and do another show next week. It'll be, you know, just to make sure everybody's OK. That's what I do. Awesome. I like it. No infighting, you know, nothing going on. Exactly. Here. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you yeah, for being well, here. No problem. We'll see. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for evaluating us this week. You can give us your report at the end of the show. <laughs> so this week, we're talking about that all-important but tricky second album. So you always hear about bands or artists whose debut albums made a splash, and then they have to come up with a follow-up. Or maybe their first album didn't make a splash, and it was the second album that really put them on the map. So the second one, will it be as good? Will it take your career to, to new heights? Will it completely flop? That's what we're talking about tonight, the good and the bad second albums. But first, I want to get to the mailbag and get some listener feedback. We talked about the Rolling Stone greatest 200 singers list ever. And buddy, did we get some comments about that? Buddy, did we? So first, uh, from John Thomas Casey, he says, quote, the controversy made me embarrassed for music fans, especially the Celine Dion fans. They are the worst. A protest what kind of entitled jerk do you have to be to start a protest in front of a magazine because your favorite whaler didn't get into your list? What the hell, guys? Stay home. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is hilarious. I love it. I'd like it's, to point out that Celine Dion was never in the whalers. That's just Bob Marley. <laughs> wow, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Stephanie, you had some comments. I did. I had a bunch of comments. Okay, so my friend Philip Shelley wrote that he he was listening on his long drive last week, and he said, very interesting and entertaining show, though, of course, I disagree with you guys as much as I disagreed with the Rolling Stone list. (laughs) And that's how it should be. (laughs) Yes, he said, stimulating, infuriating, informative, hilarious, and provocative. Cheryl Marshall says, great. This list really upsets me. I'm no big fan of Celine Dion, but please, that woman has an amazing instrument. Jerry Rubino, our friend, says, no David Sylvian? I agree, Jerry. Mm. Robin Rossman says, at least they know who polystyrene was, but I'm disappointed to see they omitted both Regina Spector and Slim Whitman. And Terry Staunton says, it depresses me to see another once great bastion of thought-provoking journalism reduced to inconsequential clickbait. Mm. That's a good comment. Mm -hmm. 
And I've got one last one from Jessica, one of our regular listeners in Florida. And she wrote a lot of stuff. She had a lot to say. So I've kind of condensed it to like get all of her points in. She says, quote, I love how fired up you all were. (laughs) (laughs) were. I disagree with several dozen of the included artists in the list and the placement of others. I like a lot of the names y'all mentioned, especially some of the 80s and 90s artists that were left off the list. I thought the biggest snub in terms of younger artists was Kelly Clarkson. She can literally sing anything. Mm -hmm. The fact that she didn't make the top 100 is just gross. Others that I love uh, that were overlooked are Grace Potter, J.C. Chazé from NSYNC, and Nat King Cole. Mm. Yeah. good. My wife insists that J.C. is the best singer in NSYNC. Yeah, well, he's also had quite a, a a career as a songwriter since NSYNC. He's done a lot of stuff for a lot of different artists. So, yeah. I think I think yeah, he's a he's a talented little guy. So, thank you everybody for giving us some feedback. You can email us anytime you want at modernmusicology1 at gmail dot com, or you can make a comment. Anytime you see one of our posts on Facebook or Twitter or Insta, or you can. What's the other place? Oh, yeah. You can rate us and leave a comment on wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. So thanks, everybody. And we hope to hear more comments from everybody who listens. All right. Let's jump into our topic. Mm -hmm. How about that? So who's got a great example of a second album, notable second album, either notable for its greatness or notable for its awfulness? This year's model. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because... It's good because it's the first one with the traction, with the attractions. And that album goes like a house on fire. It's great. And uh, you can tell immediately tell the difference between the first album and the second album. Because mm. that band just gels. That's a good point. That's yeah, not that's one I would have thought of. I, I didn't either. Yeah, I think of Elvis. Mm-hmm. I have one that's sort of not, I, I, I picked um, October by U2, mm. which is, I feel like the album was, at, the whole thing was at a disadvantage in the first place because I don't know if everyone knows the story, but Bono was at a gig and they were at a gig in Portland and his notebook with uh, all the lyrics and his briefcase with the song ideas and stuff got, <laughs> it got hijacked and got stolen. And um, so all, all, he was basically improvising a lot of the lyrics on that record. But I, I think there's some amazing songs on it. Like Gloria is awesome and it's so passionate and wonderful, but like, I don't think it measures up to boy and I don't think it measures up to war after it. So I mm. think it was, a, it was just, it was a little bit scattered and kind of chaotic. Mm. It stuck between two really, really good albums. Yeah, That's the really problem. Is. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm. I, and just like I said, I mean, the disadvantage of, you know, you lose all your lyrics and what, whatever you've been working on and that, that blows. And then you have a timeline where you have to make a record, you know, for the record company. So mm-hmm. there's somebody walking around Dublin with you two's really good. Well, actually <laughs> they got it back. He got it back like years later, some uh, 23 years later, it was found in the attic of a rental home that um, a woman was renting in Portland. And and they fe- they spent like a year trying to get in touch with U2's management, trying to get it back to them. But he did. They, oh, wow. She did. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So I will go with the uh, with a record from 1991, uh, The Sunday's Blind. You know, I had a feeling you were going to mention that one. But here's the thing: I don't, I don't hate it. It's not terrible. It's no. just after the for, after the first one, it's kind of a misstep. But to be fair, 
they recorded the album and then their record label went out of business. And then they had to basically, their UK label went out of business. So then they basically had to go into uh, finding a label and making a record at the same time. And then when they signed to a new label, it was sort of trying to find a single and trying to make it work. And if you went to any of the live shows, live shows on that time at that time period, they were fantastic. It's just the record, just it was just a little flat. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's just kind yeah. of there. But mm-hmm. reading, writing, and arithmetic is so good. Yes, that it's really hard to top that. So I totally agree. I don't think that they only did three albums. I don't think the second or third one ever matched that first record. That first record is one of my favorite albums ever released by any band i absolutely love it and there's some really good songs on both the second and third albums i just don't think that as a as a whole you know as a record i just don't think it holds up as well as the first one does the first one just blows me away every time i hear it the other problem too is it got released right around the same time as another record you're probably going to talk about later on on dgc in america as well Mm, okay well, then I'm going to I'm going to jump back to the 70s and a band that I am a huge fan of and uh, has been hugely influential. They started life with an album that was kind of Zeppelin esque, and I don't think they would have ever achieved the heights that they achieved had they not changed drummers after their first record and got Neil Peart in their band. Mm-hmm. So Rush's second album, Fly By Night, is um, really the thing that that starts to launch them. And of course, they go on to much, much bigger and grander things later on. But had they were they resting on just that first album? I don't think that there was anything all that special and unique about Rush to get that much notice. But Fly By Night, just by well, first of all, more experience of the you know the the whole band itself. But then adding Neil Peart completely changed their sound he he's a completely different kind of drummer a much more complex drummer but also a poet and lyricist on par with some of the greatest songwriters ever and i think that neil's lyrics his playing too but i think his lyrics is really what pushed getty and alex to expand their ideas to expand their concepts of of music and songwriting and what what music can be and i I just think that there there's nothing that would have happened with rush the same way had that second album not happened the way it did now did he start writing on the second album yeah yeah he came in immediately with like writing all the lyrics there was a song that like um alex wrote but other than that alex and getty wrote all the music and neil wrote all the lyrics Hmm. Yeah. And you can see an an amazing difference in the lyrics of the first album to the second. (laughs) So do we want to start with a controversy now? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Do it. So dear internet, dear Dear internet, uh, use your illusion is the second album. (gasps) Let's just just throw that out there. Use your illusion is the second album. Lies is a repackaged live album with four acoustic tracks. It's an EP. Get it's so weird. It. I just pulled out lies today. That's so funny that you're saying yeah. that. <laughs> but everything I looked up said, oh, lies is the second. No, lies is not the second album. Yeah, you're right. Use Your Illusion is the second album. 
And the thing we all loved about Guns N' Roses, the thing that made Appetite such a great album was the fact that it stripped away every single bloated thing of the 70s, of 70s rock, and a little bit of what the 80s, the little barnacles that the 80s took on with, with hair metal, and stripped it all away to this hardcore, punky, rocky kind of configuration. And then Use Your Illusion added all of it back. <laughs> yes. In the worst ways possible, uh, you know. And if you're going to count two, I was, but okay. Double albums, um, songs that probably could have been edited better or much more in the case of, well, you wouldn't get a Regina Spector song later out of it if you didn't. But, but Use Your Illusion is just everything that, Appetite wasn't, and in a in the in a wrong way, and uh, also it was the beginning of the end for that band because even the band that recorded it wasn't the band that did Appetite. So, yeah, mm. that's a good, that's a really good example. Um, which is kind of sad. I mean, oh, man, I love them so much, and I thought they were a really they had everything ready to go for you know for an amazing second record, and it wasn't. I don't think it was horrible. Like I do like some songs on it, and I I think there's still some redeeming factors for that album, but uh, I do agree with most of what you say. And mm. it has the signposts of like why second records are hard mm -hmm. uh, or, or a trick for some bands because, you know, self-produced, mostly self-produced, um, adding elements in that maybe you shouldn't, because if you had a producer kind of to the side or helping you, you would know better to not, they would help you, pick and choose and maybe focus. Um, yeah, so like streamline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an album that's a little all over the place. It's an album that's trying things that's out of their comfort zone. Um, the other thing is Izzy's participation is questionable. And he's the guy who has at least wrote half the songs on Appetite. So <laughs> that's yeah. kind of an important piece of the puzzle. So yeah. a lot of important signs there on why sometimes second albums bomb is things change between the first album and the second album. Yeah. And uh, that that's good, good case. And talking about things changing, this isn't so much the band. Well, the band did change, but the times changed. Um, Jellyfish, uh, between their first and second record, um, Spilt Milk, which I'm is the album I'm going to focus on. I, I think to me, this is one of, this is one of my favorite albums of all time. And um I just think it came out at the wrong time because it, it it basically came out when grunge was huge and nobody was like looking for pet sounds too. <laughs> it wasn't the focus of, you know, people on people's minds really. Uh, I think it's a, I think it aged really well. And I still, I, I think Rob's going to disagree with me, but I, I don't know. I feel like to me, it's uh, every time I listen to it, I just love it more and more. So also a couple things happened between recording the first and second records, which is of course half the band members left. And so Andy Sturmer and Roger Manning basically made spilt milk with different people mm. that time around. Uh, and not necessarily, again, I don't think for, for it was a bad thing. I just think that it was a different thing. And I also just think the timing of it, of the release was not, and I have to say that I worked those records and I love them so I, uh, much. <laughs> as we, as we discussed 30 years ago when this thing came out, mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
I I don't hate it. I think that it's a concept album that sort of, as you said, came out the wrong time in the wrong place. Um, it got crunched between not only the time when grunge was big, but this is right when like Moby and the prodigy and everything else is breaking. So it can't go from one extreme to another. It is squarely in the middle, right? Um, It's like the Matthew sweet syndrome. It's like a really great pop record that you can't move around anything with. Oh man. That's that's another example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Um, also in terms of like seventies, you know, sort of throwback pastiche stuff, people had already kind of fixated on Lenny Kravitz and, a lot of people had already made that decision, and, and yeah. that's yeah. And at the same time that that record came out, you know, like people really wanted that record to be like the next XTC record that people loved, right? They wanted them to be the like the Jellyfish XTC. record. You're saying, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And it just, you know, XTC was dead by then too, more or less, right? They were in a career doldrum as well. So I don't, I, I think if that record came out maybe six months earlier or six months later. Um, it probably Maybe. would have done better, but I, you know, this is a point I do want to sort of bring up with this list too. Is I, when I made my list, I sort of like discarded where they were in terms of like the public psyche at the time because hindsight has vindicated a lot of records and a lot of really great second albums sort of suffered from poor release dates or bad labels, right? Um, and there's a, there's a couple instances of that we're going to run through, but I think that you know, it's I don't think it's a bad album. I don't think it's a great album. I think it's a solid second album. And I think that when I think of a second album, I'm not looking for them to jump up, you know, jump up to like the next plateau. I want it to be solid. And I think that is sort of, they're, they're not, you know, going up the scale. They're not going down it. It's just, it's still going even across the graph. Right. You know, what's interesting about that, that, that album also is like the single was ghosted number one. And I know it did pretty well at radio, but I, I remember thinking at that time when we released that as a single, like that should not be the single. To me, I think there's a million, million, of course, that's figurative, but other songs on that record that just could have been a single, like joining a fan club or, uh, you know, I don't know. There's there's a lot. That's one I ran. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Back when we were young. (laughs) When we met each other so young Um, at radio. So I'm going to I'm going to throw a weird sort of um, curveball into all of this. You're always um, up at the curveball. No, 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 no. I don't know. It's good. It's good. So in, in 19 people, don't, people just don't think about this. Right. But in 1963, Marvin Gaye had made a debut album that went absolutely friggin nowhere. Right. Mm. Marvin Gaye was dead in the water. Nobody this label wanted to touch him. They thought he wrote great records, but couldn't record great records. He couldn't find, um, you know, a really good home he couldn't get production down and then he put out that stubborn kind of feller in 1963 and um it had three hits on it he had martha and the vandellas on it which really did actually help him a lot and that really launched him in terms of it it's a record that gave him confidence right he sort of got this confidence as a songwriter as a musician but more importantly it shaped what marvin Gaye did the rest of the career and it was i'm making my records the way i want to make them screw you all right so while it is not necessarily like the standing testament of greatness, it is a record where you see the artist growing musically from the second career or second album, but it also lays the foundation for the rest of their career and what they want to do. And for that, I think it's important. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I would not have thought of 
good old Mr. Marvin Gaye. And people don't think of Marvin Gaye as failing either. You know, there's well, it, it, struggling. It, it, yeah, exactly. It did take a while for him to really get cranking. Yeah. So I'm going to do one that, that that's, that's good. Um, and this was a quantum improvement from their first album. Uh, it's Power Corruption Lies from New Order. <laughs> <laughs> Stolen from Rob. We have bingo. Oh, it's going to happen um, at some point. I'll check it yeah. out on the list. But uh, Movement was a little more, which is their first album, Movement was a little more in the mode of them trying to figure out what they were going to do without Ian Curtis. Mm. And... It, it sort of it, it sort of still sounds like Joy Division, whereas the thing that happened between Power Corruption and Lies and Movement is Blue Monday, and yeah. that yeah. gave mm-hmm. them a lot of confidence to go forward in, in 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 the direction that they went in, and it sets the the blueprint for everything else New Order does. Um, it's a really good album, and I just love it. And it, it's a good album, but it's also experimental. And yes. you know, people always forget. That Age of Consent is probably one of the best opening tracks and opening bass lines of a track. Oh man, yeah. Um, yeah. On an album. And um, also, it's got a song about the prisoner, so I can't really fault that. Um, and I will piggyback off of that with Joy Division Closer. Yeah. Um, which Absolutely. is also, I mean, you have on, you're like, hey, we're in a band. We put out a great first album that everybody loves, and our singer hung himself. What the hell are we going to do mm. now? Right. Mm. Well, you release the album. And you have this record that is just unrelentingly bleak. It's unrelenting. I mean, it is just, it is not a, well, for me, it's a feel great record, but, um, and it's got a track on it. That's a waltz, right? Cause decades is basically a waltz. It's in waltz time and it's a band in mourning and it's a band that is sad and you can feel just like this heaviness when you listen to it in the same way later, when you hear some of the later Nirvana records, you know where this is going. Right. But it's 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 held up, and it was when it came out, people thought this is really good. And now, upon hindsight, in the same way that with Power Corruption Lies, people look upon it as being like a masterpiece, which I think is kind of interesting. Although I think in real time, people I, I and I don't know the answer to this, but I would imagine some people would feel a little awkward listening to it, given yeah. that given yeah. what happened. Yeah. When I was thinking of like an album that's kind of like a, a a sluggish start for a band and then a second album that catapults you into superstardom never mind comes to <laughs> mind yeah and you know I, I think it's the first album bleach was a great record but i don't think it got as much notice as you know when when teen spirit came out that just like took every person who was a music fan at the time and just like pounded their head into a concrete wall and there was no way that you could ignore that song and that record so never mind i mean what what you got rob no i I hear you no no, you're completely right no it it changed the it changed the whole the whole scene of music it just changed everything in a second it snuck in the background it had like a six month build yeah, it snuck in the background while metal destroyed itself, and while pop music was trying to figure out how it was going to work in the next mm-hmm. decade. And then, yeah. interestingly, in terms of how the charts happened, there were a lot of chart changes that happened that allowed Nirvana to kind of do what it did um, because SoundScan happened in between when the album came out and when yes. it hit number one. Yeah, so I would love for us to do a SoundScan 
episode sometime. I yeah, because the world the world literally changed, and even record companies and Stephanie, you can lead to this. Yeah. Record, uh, record company views on like, oh, what are people buying? Absolutely changed because mm-hmm. because rap and alternative and well, quote alternative and like country got yep. so much rose leveled yeah. up so much yes. uh, because they could actually see what people were buying exactly that, nirvana had a slow build and it the changes that happened underneath nirvana coming out uh, are really interesting yeah and this is the record that swallowed up everything that was on geffen the year before and the year after right so it up everything and, and yeah, everything on all labels. Fast. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember that when that record came out, my, my, my rep at Geffen, I was on the phone with her uh, and I, she wasn't as cool as Steph, but she's like, how many people are at your station? I'm like, well, we have about 26 DJs and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, I'm sending you a box. They sent, and this is, this is the first record. I remember a label shoving down my throat, right? They <laughs> sent a record for every person who worked at the station I was amazing. at, wow. right? And a shirt, right? <laughs> wow. Um, and I remember when we got it, the program director, um, the production de- director, and me, and we like one other DJ who was like a metal guy that did the metal show, um, was like, we went into the production room, which back at the old college radio stations was like, not not big, right? And you have the knobs and all that, right? And it's... <laughs> It's the one of the only times in the history of college radio I remember we listened to that thing. We skipped two classes. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm. it was like, and it was like we just—it's yeah. one of the records you listen to, and you're like, "This is gonna change everything." I'll never mm-hmm. forget it either, Rob. That's so interesting that you say that because I remember I had a little small office. I was sort of still part time, like because I was doing my band and I was leaving and coming back, so I was like an indie promoter. For a while and I was shoved into this little office right by the receptionist. And I remember putting a putting it on and listening with my door closed. And I was like, I just remember staring at the door and just thinking, oh my God, like what am I hearing? This is just, it's so I, I just knew the same thing. It was like that's gonna change everything. And I couldn't, like my emotions were so strong. And I remember that moment to this day. It, wow. it is also a record that they played at the limelight <laughs> in the middle of all of the, yeah, all yeah. Of the little weird club mm-hmm. kid crap that they played that. And that place went friggin' nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the record that put rock records back into, into like juice bars yeah. and clubs. Right. But like that thing was just a tidal wave every, I mean, you cannot even explain no, you have to kind of live now, through it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. anything that happens now, it's like, yeah, whatever. This is, you know. Um, I know. It's a wonder. It's interesting to, to, I wonder if we'll ever see something that massive again of a movement. I was just wondering the same thing. Um, but it's just, I, I just remember being absolutely numb. I'm just mm-hmm. like, what is this? What am I doing? I know. Like I, what? This like, I'm oh like, my God. What? I, it's one of the few times and for, for, um, for a DJ, the worst feeling in the world is I don't know what to play next, or I boxed myself in the corner to where I can't figure out what I'm going to play next. And it's the first time that I absolutely was just frozen. I'm like, mm. what the hell do I play after this? What do you play after this? Right. Yeah. And, and then like, I can't play at the end of the show because the poor bastard coming on after it's screwed. Right. <laughs> so actually that's what I ended up doing. And the guy played a kiss record after and it totally worked. 
Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um, it's just like, it's just one of the few times. And there was another record that's, that I'm going to talk about that was kind of like that. You were just like, what is this? What are we doing? And where are we going? Right. Mm. It was just, it was, what just is that other record that you, yeah. I uh, know too. The other yeah. record that I remember hearing as, as a, as a guy who grew up with new wave indie rock kind of roots and all the other stuff kind of came after that. Right. Public enemies. It takes a nation <sighs> oh, of millions yes. to hold us back. Yeah. Um, because oh, college, yeah. but here's the thing. And Steph will remember this. I think I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steph, that's one of the few, it might be one of the first hip hop records that charted on college indie charts. Right. Well, man, I don't remember. Yeah, you could be uh, right. I, re- I remember like the guy who's playing the rap guy on the rap show kept talking about this record that was coming. Right. And we decided to add it to regular rotation. And yeah. For, and that broke a barrier. Right. Because like we didn't have except for like Fishbone or. Right. You know, right. right. It, it, we didn't have there was a color. barrier. it wasn't an intentional color barrier, but it really broke that line between indie rock and hip hop and. Uh, what can get played on an independent radio station? Yeah, and you just kind of thought they, I mean, they're just a band. I don't know. Maybe it's just my thing. I just don't think of them. I just don't classify them. They are just yeah. music I listen to. They're just so awesome. Yeah. And, and I remember listening to it and I go, I've never heard anything like this. Yeah. It's, mad, it's, it's mad and it's visceral and it's angry, but it's mm. also got a rhythm and a melody. And mm. it was one of the first hip hop records I remember, or rap records I remember listening to where the song order made sense. It wasn't just a, a collection of songs. It was like a theme. And you could really see where, where this was all sort of going to go. And it was sort of, you know, I'd heard a little bit of rap before that. And I've heard a little bit of hip, hip hop before that. But it's a record that really sort of said, okay, I need to look at this. I, I have been short-sighted by not exploring this as a musical form. Plus, I think that you, you start with the title. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. I think that that title was like throwing down the gauntlet. I think that Ooh, they knew how great that record was. And that was a declaration. That was like a challenge. You mm-hmm. know, I think that they knew they mm-hmm. were coming out with something really, really strong. I seem to recall, and I'm forgetting this maybe, but I seem to recall there was a Saturday Night Live where they had like a bunch of Def Jam artists on it and everybody did a performance. And it was LL Cool J had a spot and then Public Enemy came out with a spot. And mm. two very different performers, two very different styles, but it was, it was, it sounded like a bomb went off and it was fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are a few things in my world, in my musical life that I remember. Like I remember the first time I heard Bowie. I remember the first term, time I heard, you know, Nevermind. And I remember the first time I heard Public Enemy. There's like these little moments that you sort of just carry mm-hmm. with you, right? And I remember the first time I heard the Aquanettes. Because um, <laughs> Steph was like the first person I knew in a band that like had made it, made a record. There's that too, but it's not, <laughs> it's not like when I heard Nirvana for the first time. Sorry. Um, yeah. Can I, can I continue on the, the awesome rap um, second oh, yeah. album? Stetsasonic in full gear. Oh, oh interesting. Could could possibly be my I don't know. I mean, that's in my top 20 records of all time. So I used to go to these amazing clubs to dance. Um, they were they were ho- called Hotel Amazon and Payday in New York. And all the amazing new 
um, like hip hop and rap artists would be played at these clubs was the DJs would get the promo, you know, so you would just hear all that stuff there first. And that's where I heard Stet first. And I was like, so blown away. Cause I remember hearing like DVC, let the music play. And Oh, Sally, Sally was a huge hit from that album. So that, I don't know that, that, that album from start to finish is crazy. Amazing. They were so confident and powerful. And I think from the first record to this record was a huge writing improvement. Um, I don't know. It's just they realize their full potential on in full gear. So before we go full positivity, um, let's cast our minds back to 1989. Oh, no. Okay. 1989, uh, <sighs> where a gentleman by the name of Terrence Trent Darby. Very <gasps> yes! He's ego, on my list. On my A list very, too. very large ego and a very <laughs> actually talented guy, but a very, yes. very larger ego. And he decided to self-produce his second album after um, kind of telling Martin Ware to pack it up and go home, Uh, which was a mistake because neither Fish nor Flesh Mm. is very, very bad. Um, And it's not. I wouldn't say that. It's not. It's not awful, but it is bad. The title Um, is terrible. Yes. The it's, title just makes you not want to listen alone. I feel. The thing is, the thing is, I think he wanted to prove he want, yeah. which he does on later albums, but he wanted to prove that he wasn't just a cute singer. Mm-hmm. He was a multi instrumentalist. He was, you know, really good songwriter. He could handle different styles outside of soul. And that's kind of, I could get where he's going with it, but Doing the three, doing the, the the full 180 from you know the the sole thing you're doing and in introducing the hardline to yeah. psych rock bar blues, maybe five seconds of the thing you were doing of the soul stuff on the last album, um, really doesn't fit well and it's an odd juxtaposition. And mm. a producer, even if a producer was co-piloting on that thing, could have helped screw him down and like focus. On like maybe you do a section of the album like this, maybe you do a section of the album like this, and maybe you just kind of transition through to the different sounds you want to show off. Um, and it really killed his career. Yeah, um, it really did. And, him. and you hear when he comes out after this record because Symphony or Damned yeah. is really really good. But the damage yeah. was done by that. The damage was done by them. Stuff that's not so bad. Like this side of love. Like there's just. Yeah. Yeah. The single is great, but nothing else sounds like that single Mm -hmm. is the problem. Right. And it's it's so all over the map. And it it feels like he's trying to show off. He feels like he's trying to show what he can do. And I wish he just skipped to like. Maybe maybe or doing it, doing it gradually. Because isn't that's mm. kind of the thing that I keep hearing that the advice is usually if you're going to change your sound, because the thing you do for your from your first record is probably what you've been doing for the first four or five years of your career. Right. And if you're going to change your sound, do it gradually. Do it in phases. Do it. Add elements in the second album and, and then try to work through it. And then the third album can blow everyone's minds. But that's not what he did. Yeah. Unfortunately. And uh, it, it's it's sad, but. Well, you very still a very talented guy. Just tried to throw it all up there at once and take the big swing, and it didn't quite work. When I 
went to hit one of his record signings at Tower Records. Kids, ask your parents. Um, and he wouldn't sign his first record, only that one. <laughs> oh no! It, oh, I'm no. done. I'm done. And even nice. he says now, even he says now that that was uh, every every single move he made on that record is a mistake. Wow. Yeah. Okay, but let's let's go back to the first album because yes. the first single that came out was "If You Let Me Stay." Yes, and a lot of that first album does not sound like that. Now, you know, I I think that the first album is a lot more diverse in style, but maybe not as much as the second album. The first album, because you know, when you when you get here, if you let me stay, or the even bigger hit, Wishing Well, yeah. and then you buy the album and you put the you know you drop the needle on side one, you do not expect if you all get to heaven to be no, the first thing you hear because it's so different than what you're expecting. I but everything I, on that first album is just so f- fucking good. Yeah. And I think the thing that, that, that got to him in addition to the fact that he did have an incredibly large ego, but the thing that got to him was that everybody was saying, Oh, this is the future of soul. This yes. is the future of soul music, which yes. is incidentally a thing that Anita Baker, Teddy Riley uh, mm. Keith and Bobby Brown are going to have some words about that in the next year. Mm-hmm. After right. This record. That's true. Um, but I think and, he was trying not to get pigeonholed by that. And again, that's something you want to do with your second record. But you just don't want to throw it in there all at once. Right. Yes. Um, he also, and this is another one that, and I, I think I probably said this myself, but I heard it said a lot. He's the new prince. Mm. That is a hell of a lot of pressure to it put on lot. any new artist. No matter how big his ego is, he has to think, holy shit, now I have to be the new prince. So, interesting story about that. You know who told the record label he was the new prince? He did, I'm sure. He did. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's good. Too funny. But, man, I love that first album, and I can't believe that that didn't come to mind when I was putting my list together. I saw it on there, but I just got so traumatized Mm. that I stayed away from it. But like, and, and the sad thing is, again, the sad thing is it torpedoes his career. Yeah, because, because he is so talented. That because he's yeah. so talented and Symphony or Dam is just, yeah. it's what everything that second record should have been. Yeah. It's that departure from the soul stuff. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of multi-instrumental stuff. It's everything he could have done on the second record. Yeah. Um, but just for some reason just couldn't get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And vibrators yeah. the same thing. Vibrator carries that on. And right. I wish I wish if you could have just deleted that and just mm-hmm. scrapped it and just gone directly sure. to that record, it would have probably helped. But man, that's a uh, shame. Yeah. Okay. I've got an example of a band who drastically changed styles from first album to second album, but it worked. And that's Tears for Fears. <gasps> that pick. first record is so good. It's so good. It wasn't as commercially successful, but it, it's such a great record. That second album comes along and it's a fucking masterpiece. And it's really the thing that that kicked off their career in a whole different way. And it's stylistically, it's very different from that first record. You don't hear a lot of the stuff that's sort of like what you think of Tears for Fears. If you only had heard that first record, you don't hear a lot of that stuff on the second record. But it it's still works. synthy, but it's brighter. It's right. brighter and whiter and louder. 
Exactly. It's more symphonic. It's more like composed as opposed to like song written. It's a brilliant, brilliant record. Um, and I just think it's one of the examples of like really changing directions and changing focus and it like working out for them. And the thing with the hurting is it's super dark. If you, if you pay attention to the lyrics, oh, yeah. it's super, it's a super, super dark record. And it's one yeah. of those things where you scratch your head. I've seen a bunch of old Top of the Pops where mm. it's constantly chart topping. And I'm like, this is the most depressing thing. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's still topping the charts. It's so strange. Well, there's a lot of stuff like that then, like yeah. Morrissey, uh, yeah. Pure, you know, everything right. was very, very mopey and morbid. And <laughs> well, I think that they, and the thing with the Smiths is it's jangly guitars. That's what throws people off. Yes. yes. Because they're there. He's like, you know, to- it's, totally it's lyrically. Deep. He's in a, massively depressed place but but, it's but, to, too... but to flip your entire sound like what you're saying yeah. and like go like widescreen exactly widescreen was, that's a good way to put screen it is, and i'm stealing that from from comics but when you go widescreen with your sound it's 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 way different yes but i also think too it's having steve lillowide as a producer who mm-hmm. if is is an incredible producer that can get not only an artist to do amazing things that are outside their comfort zone. He is great at talking them into going outside of their comfort zone. And that's a really good case of a band just putting all of its faith in a producer, right? And making a record that is, yes, their vision and what they want it to be, but also having sort of the smarts to go, okay, this guy has done this, 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 and this. Let's listen to him. So I think it's, besides being a record that sort of Defined who they were as a pop act. I'm going to talk about a producer whose second album was so freaking amazing that it like blew my mind and changed my life. And it's Daniel Lenoir's for the beauty of Winona. Shocking. You're bringing. Yeah. Shocking that I'm going to talk about Daniel Lenoir. I know. (laughs) Don't please calm down, everybody. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I saw them. I saw him play at town hall for this album. It was him and two other people on stage producing some of the most intense sound that three people could ever make, I think. It, it went, the dynamics were incredible. It would be like uh, you could hear a pin drop, and then it was as if the walls were shaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, the songs are so beautiful, and the lyrics are so beautiful. It's such an evocative album. And this, actually, I, The Messenger, which is a, a fantastic song, I, I think I'm going to... I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I really want to cover it from a next um, cool album EP. That's awesome. I, do I don't know. I know, guys. I know you've had opinions on cover songs that you don't really love them, but I don't know. I feel like there's something that's pulling me. Oh, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I think that. Well, that's a whole different topic. So that's we could a whole do a show topic. on that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but covers aren't necessarily bad. I mean, yeah. if you do something, and Tears for Fears is a good example of that. Whoever mm. the guy who redid um, the song from the first album on the Donnie Darko soundtrack, Gary Van World. Thank you, both of you. Um, completely changed that song and made it his own and and brought new dimensions to it. And God, it's amazing. Hmm. Anyway, that's side yeah. side discussion. Yeah. Well, I highly recommend that that cool. album for the beauty of Winona if you haven't heard it. Very cool. All right. Um, I'll fanboy now. So um, 
no, it's fine. Everybody knows this is coming, and it's a part of the show that everyone dreads. The Pet Shop Boys, Boys put up, please, which is pretty phenomenal, mm. but actually up to the ante for them considerably. I mean, it's got this, like, thunderous, like, song about Catholic guilt called It's a Sin, and then it's got... Uh, Dusty Springfield on a pop record, it single-handedly brought <laughs> Dust, Dusty Springfield was living in a, one of those daily hotels where you pay by day. Oh, good God. And they basically rescued her career Wow! and uh, lobbied to get her in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It single-handedly brought her back and it sort of began this like imperial phase. But then on the record, too, you have this really powerful... State, I mean, the whole record sort of this powerful statement about, you know, Thatcheristic Britain, but it's also got It Couldn't Happen Here, which is like one of the first sort of like cloaked references to AIDS in contemporary culture. It's got King's Cross, which is about the King's Cross fire and, and how that happened. And then you've got, you know, a couple other things. You've got Heart spread in there. And then, you know, um, they didn't tour and they didn't do a ton of promotion that was what you would call like really exciting right but that record just exploded it, it sort of kicked off um their career but it also brought back like synth pop for a while in, in the mid 80s at a time when it was just kind of starting to lull so i'll put that out there mm. too that's a good one yeah also um another one that sort of changed uh how people look at records um was my bloody valentine loveless um, which is, I don't think it's the first shoegaze record, but it's certainly the first one that brought that whole wave of like records where like, I have no idea what they're saying, but it's really loud and it's dense and still the loudest band I've ever saw. I, my ears were ringing. Yeah, I ear, saw them too. It's so loud. earplugs and my ears were still <laughs> ringing for four days after, right? Um, but that love that record, Loveless, just that was good, um, yeah. At the same time, in the same way that Nirvana changed it, it kind of changed a lot too, because it sort of took where everything that Jesus and Mary Chain went with Psycho Candy and just like ran the marathon with it. For those of you keeping a score, I did have that one. <laughs> I assumed you did. If you didn't, I'd be very upset. Let's have a yeah. let's have a discussion about the Stone Roses, can we? Oh yes, do oh, it. Please. <sighs> please. I wore please. I wore my patch for this. Your patch, yeah, like a nicotine patch. There's like a nicotine. <laughs> it's like the nicotine patch. Where's the special stone roses patch you you wear okay. when you have to talk about? I don't the think it's stone. a bad record. I don't think it's a terrible record. So first of all, right. the title though is Second Coming. I mean, that's a little bit of a Jesus complex right away. And <laughs> really, think- from the band who did a song called "I Want to Be Adored." <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um. It wasn't so much that the record was bad, although it wasn't, I don't think it could compare to their first album, which came out in 89, but it came out five years after their first album. And it came out at a time when like Oasis and Blur and the, like the Suede were those, those were the bands that were Mm -hmm. blowing the scene apart at that time. And I just don't. All of those bands were influenced by them too. uh, Yeah. Directly. It's like, it's just like out, they were out of time, you know, out of step. Mm -hmm. And they just, it just, it's too bad. It's sort of not what anyone expected from them. And it's not maybe what they wanted right then. And it's a record that like suffered from band infighting, creative differences. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody that was their contemporary at the time was already like getting up and moving. They were going, they were going, right? And, you know, that by the time they put out their second record, other bands had put out two or three. Yes. Yeah. And 
it's not awful, but the first problem no. that it, the first biggest problem that it had for me, um, as someone who was excited to get it and then had to put it on a turntable and go, yikes. Um, the first record had such great tracking on it in terms of like how the track order went and the flow and the pace of it. It really had a really nice flow to it, right? Uh, all the tracks sort of worked right after each other and where it was played. This, like, right away was so uneven that even if the songs were good, you were just kind of expecting more because the other the track order on the other album was so great. Um, it's also, whereas the first record is so wonderful because it's kind of underproduced, this is yes. really overproduced. Good. And it's, yeah. it's, a so case true, of, yeah. it's a case of either a band not listening to the producer or the producer not listening to the band. Well, they spent five years on it. Of course it's overproduced. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I've heard records that take five years to come out with, and they're not that badly overproduced. I mean, Mm. it's like, come on. We'll we'll see what happens when Peter Gabriel's 20-year album comes out. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to tell Peter Gabriel that any of his records are overproduced. (laughs) Um, Or Brian Eno. I'm not going to tell any of them that their records are overproduced, right? but I think I think you're right, Steph. It's like it took five years. It was so lackluster. And they toured. This is the first time they toured America on this record, mm-hmm. right? And they were just horrible. It was just like oh. um, I think we talked about it. It's like I got to see them play for free and I still wanted my money back. That is how t- <laughs> that Jesus. is how terrible they were. <laughs> like, I went I went to see them with my girlfriend at the time. And, and uh, you know, we're on the train back to Brooklyn and she's like, I'm not I'm not listening to you anymore <laughs> Wow! With, with concerts. Right. That's hilarious. And I'm um, like, they, you love the first record, didn't you? And she's like, yeah. But I'm like, I'm like, honey, I'm sorry. I mean, it was like the tour was bad. The album was bad. The promotion was bad. They didn't have the album graphics they had the first time. They didn't, I mean, literally, it's a misfire on every level from the yeah. artwork to the tracking to the production, to the songs, to like the promotion, you know, um, the label, you know, it's bad when a label doesn't even say five years in the making, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and build it up. Right. You, you didn't get the, the, the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday build up with it. Right. Instead, they're just like, it's out. Right. Yeah. They didn't even like try to build this up as like, you've been waiting five years for this. Yeah. Right? I think I don't even know if it, when I came out, I don't even remember it really coming out, you know, I don't even remember. Yeah. I, I just either. because well I was so into those other bands Blur Oasis and you know that kind of yeah. thing at that point and you know this kind of reminds me of another band that sort of had the same kind of success at roughly the same time and tweaked their sound when you listen to the first Radiohead album and you listen to the Benz it's night and day right that this is a band that grew it's a band that listened to a, produ- a producer um, it's a band that had a visual aspect that worked and you know the Benz really what sort of came along later is being like everyone thought it was great it's a nice second record but it's like maybe 10 years after it that people are like looking at this thing going okay this record is like way better than we think it is right I think that really changed i think the bends significantly changed the landscape of of the whole music mm-hmm. scene too though i really do yeah it did because at, everyone, the time. Was, expecting, at the everyone time. was expecting creep again yeah and it's more of a cohesive album than a singles album. So I'm going to throw in something uh, slightly more hard rock. Oh, please. Uh, the second album from Alice in Chains, Dirt. Oh, yes. How after, did I not think to put yes. that on my list? Holy after shit. a bunch of EPs um, where everybody was wondering, what are yeah. they doing? Yeah. 
because there were a number of VPs. There was after a number of VPs after the first record and literally touring with literally opening with literally anyone. Yeah. And you can look at who they opened for. And it is literally every single tour they could get on mm-hmm. after facelift. Mm-hmm. But yeah. dirts the record yeah. that kind of oh, solidifies that these guys can not only sort of tweak their sound a little bit toward the mainstream, but still stay very intense. Oh my God. Um, yeah. But it was a very diverse collection and it did sort of the thing that when we were talking about the Terrence Street Derby record, it shows you a range of what the band's capable of, um, which, which was a really good record. It was just, and, and also um, the thing that kind of propelled it was wood. Was yeah. the, uh, I talked was, about that song on a previous podcast. Yeah. That is such a friggin' amazing song. It's an yes. amazing song. And uh, Lane Stanley is Staley. Really great. Lane, yeah. Lane Staley. 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 Yeah. Really great. And uh, it was, it's a really fantastic record. Mm-hmm. Great pick. That is a great pick. Yeah, it really is. That's okay. So before we wrap this up, I, I did a little post on a, so I'm, I'm a big fan of a Sirius XM show or channel that's no longer around called uh, volume, which was a talk radio show all about music. And uh, there's a sort of a fan group on Facebook called the volume maniacs. So I did a little post in that Facebook group to get people's feedback on what they think of as good or bad second albums. And so I've got a bunch of uh, things that we're going to run through really quickly. Rita Kessler, well, actually two people, Rita Kessler and Valerie Vovacus, both said Panic at the Disco. Pretty Odd was uh, not as successful as the debut, um, but, you know, I, I don't know that they said it was bad, but it just wasn't as good as the first one. Derek Hall, the Gaslight Anthem, uh, the 59 Sound. Sean Foster, Jude Cole, A View from Third Street, so much better than the debut. Ken Levy, which I don't know as a relative of Rob's or not, mentions the Cars, the Knack, Van Halen 2, and ABC as not having, well, okay, the Cars was a much better album. No, just as good as the debut. I, he, Is that he Panorama? Said, huh? That no, Panorama? Candy Candio was the second Candio. Cars. Yeah, yeah. The Knack, I agree with him. Van Halen 2, God, I think Van Halen 2 is an amazing record. I think I like it more than the first album. Oh, he's saying um, it's not good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he no, says no. not as good as the second. Uh, not no, as good as the first. Sorry, dude. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Beauty, Beauty Stab was on my list of tragedies. And on top oh, yeah. of it, they made a terrible movie um, called Beauty Stab to go with the record that is just mm. as terrible as the record. Kevy Zim, I think rightly points out that Ricky Lee Jones' first album was great. No one remembers the second one. Hmm. Uh, David Richardson uh, mentions Candlebox. The the debut album went triple platinum. The follow-up barely went gold. John Menninger says both Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel's second albums were next level. And the Bruce second album got a couple of other mentions as well. Tony Kirillic says Stone Roses. Second hmm. album, unlistenable. Debut is one of his all-time favorite records. I don't. I would not go unlistenable. I don't think it's as good, but I don't. I wouldn't say that. Yeah, they just needed to get something out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had five years. Come on. Um, and I'm going to get this last name wrong. I'm sure Giuseppe Marangi Marangiu. I'm not sure. Uh, says Rainbow 
first album was okay fantastic second record rainbow rising 100 agree with you giuseppe and i can't believe it didn't occur to me to put that on my list because rainbow rising is one of the greatest rock records ever made so i just th- want to say thanks to all my volume maniacs all my buddies who are fellow fans of the volume channel on sirius xm thanks for pitching in all your great suggestions Okay, so that wraps it up for this week. That was a great discussion. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, 30 seconds, and promote one of our fellow network shows, and we'll be right back to finish out our show. So stick around. Do you like podcasts? Then you're going to hate Thunder Talk. Tasteless subject matter. Mature humor. Contempt for our co-hosts. Unapologetic social views. Edgy music. And total irreverence for the nerd junk we love. Are all reasons why. No one. No one. No one should listen to Thunder Talk. Find us on the ESO Network. And all podcasting platforms. Or don't. Whatever. All right, we are back. So what have we been listening to this week, you guys? What's been in your turntable or what have you been reading? What's your shout outs for the week? Well, this is a bit of a cheat. It's a bit of a cheat. So uh, I got a record player. So records. I'm listening to them. <laughs> Yay. All everybody was like, all of them. Uh, everybody was like, wait, you're not, you didn't, you don't have records. I know. How? How is that possible? How did you not? <laughs> how did that happen? But anyway, long story short, I have a record player now and the acquisition of records has begun in earnest. Yay. So uh, awesome. that's happening. That's that feels cool. like a cheat, though. So I'm going to do another cheat. Uh, so if you're in the Atlanta area and you don't even have to be in Atlanta to enjoy this, uh, but uh, 99X, the oh, yes. slightly beloved uh, alternative radio station uh, out of Atlanta has uh, somehow resurrected itself once again. We'll see if this one takes. Really? Um, yes, uh, they are full-fledged actual broadcasting radio station. They've been hovering between streaming and an HD signal since they were pulled off the air mm. majorly back in 2008. Um, but so right now they have relaunched. It's partially automated, but there are a couple of live shows that are happening. They're going fully live over time as they're mm. adding people back in. Um, and right now it is a classic alternative playlist. Um, they're, they're, I have caught a couple of deep things. They have gone deep on Roxy a couple of times that I've caught them doing it. So it's not just overplaying Pearl Jam, which was always our complaint about that station. <laughs> and only from the first two albums. Um, but uh, that's going on. Uh, they will. Uh, I'm being told by the programming director that new music will be added uh, when the uh, when when the live when the live shows start. So that's um, cool. lots of interesting stuff. So and you can catch that. I believe it's 99xatl.com is what that is right now. So uh, you can check that out streaming if you are not in the Atlanta market. Right on. All right, Rob. What's going on? That's all you got, Southley. Well, there's some guy named Rob Levy who has a radio show. On no, 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 no. I meant St. Louis. No, I'm not music wise. Next position Wednesday nights on KDHX. We'll get yeah. to that. Don't worry. <laughs> um, oh, okay. he's good too. Um, I guess I'll go. Um, so first of all, piggybacking off of that, um, Len Bremer uh, was a DJ on WXRT in Chicago. 
And whenever I would go to Chicago, I would make it a point to listen to him because he's one of the people that just when you hear doing radio, you're like, this guy knows how to fucking do radio, right? And just an incredible DJ. His shows were solid. Um, and well, everyone on XRT, I mean, XRT is probably like one of the best radio stations in the history of the world. But so he passed away at the age of 68 and raise a pint to him. If you're, you know, anyone who yeah. attempts to play records on the radio right now just sort of knows who these guys are. And this guy was like amazing. So uh, I just want to start with that. Um, I'm very excited because this is the week that the Lady Tron record came out. Um, they're from Liverpool. If you've not heard of them, uh, they're named after a Roxy music song and uh, their album is called Time Zero. And um, it's very synthy. It's very um, sort of like chic and slick and well-polished and everything, but I'm happy that they're back. Um, I'm super excited about that. I'm also excited about Life, uh, uh, Life, Develop Life Developers by uh, Bell and Sebastian, who have a new record out. And uh, it's fantastic. All their records are great, though, and they're going to tour. Uh, so I recommend that. And then we got um, an inkling this week of what the new national record was going to sound like. Uh, the first two pages of Frankenstein is the album. Uh, Taylor Swift is on it. Toughly, who else? I forgot who else. Uh, Suffering Stevens is on it. Basically, um, everybody who's like worked between like the Aaron Drescher, yeah, various producing projects, um, and. So if you if you remember where what all he's produced in the last three years, pretty much everybody yeah. who's been involved with that, including Taylor and uh, I believe Phoebe Bridgers, maybe I Phoebe think. Bridgers is Ooh. on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, they did not put they did not put the track with um, Bonavir on the album, which is no. interesting, which is probably fine. Um, no, but uh, pretty much everyone that that Aaron has worked with in the last three years is probably going to be on that record. Yeah, the Phoebe Bridgers track and the Taylor Swift track are, are just phenomenal. So awesome. that we got, that's coming out. They're going to tour. Um, there is an Atlanta date. I can't remember when it is. I think it's in May, but I'm excited about that. And then um, last thing, one of my favorite records uh, turned 25 this week. It's Moon Safari by Air. Uh, just an incredibly wow. great record. And uh, Toughly, it's out coming out on a four-disc special vinyl <laughs> thing with a notebook, a poster, and like <laughs> poster. a beret, a beret, and a baguette. You know, um, <laughs> you know, you know. I mention this a lot when when things like this come up. I I bought comics in the '90s, so I'm not doing this. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. but um, so Moon Safari is 25. It's a great record. Um, it's it's sort of like this wonderful slice of French pop and lounge, and it's just it's supposed to be. It's supposed to sound like a moment uh, of when it's made, but it's somehow a timeless record, and it's great. If you haven't heard Error Moon Safari, then I can't help you. <laughs> and I'm done. All right. All right, Steffi. Rob, I liked the Lady Tron song that I heard on your show this week. So that was cool. Um, I've actually been listening to Lisa Marie Presley this week mm, yeah. a lot. Who's a lot of you know I've mentioned her before. I'm a huge fan, and I was just distraught when she passed away. And I watched the um, memorial service this, today was streamed mm -hmm. live on the Graceland page and Alanis Morissette sung a song and if anybody watched that song her sing that song it was the most I feel like that was the most moving part of the service and I didn't know the song so I went and googled it and it's called Rest and it was released as a single in 2021 for Mental Health Action Day mm. um, it 
blew me away. It was so, it was beautiful and emotional. And she just sung it um, accompanied by a piano, but on the actual track, there's a full band. And uh, I think the proceeds go towards, you know, the, the organization. So um, buy that and listen to it. And it's just truly amazing. Wow. Well, I'm surprised that no one took my my pick this week, um, which from when I say this week, it just came out two days ago. And that's the new monoskin record. Rush. It's called Rush. It does not mean that they have jumped to a, a, a 70s math rock kind of style. They're still doing their typical monoskin kind of thing. And oh, my God, is it such a good record? It is so much fun. It's so brash. It's so in your face. It's so good. I just absolutely love it. Um, they are the resurrection of true rock and roll. I'm just going to say that. Um, there's a wow. couple of standout tracks. The, the first song, On My Mind, which is O-W-N, On My Mind, is so good. Um, the first single, Gossip, has Tom Morello on it, which is great. He plays some awesome guitar on it. There's a really, really the fourth song, really surprising. It's called Blah, Blah, Blah. And it's not a throwback to Iggy Pop, but it's such a weird song and it's cool and it's unexpected and it just catches you off guard. And I just absolutely love the whole record. So I hope they are going to be touring again soon and coming to Atlanta soon because I think I'm going. Cool. All right. That does it for us this week. Each one of you, tell us where we can see and hear more of you on this here intranet. Okay. You can Go. find me. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds. You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. You can find me on Bandcamp and you can find me on all the streaming platforms everywhere. And I also have a website, therearebirds.com. And you should go and watch the the video for Stephanie's current single, There Was a Time, because it has been doing really well and it just crossed the 3,000 views mark. Thanks, Alan. Yay! <laughs> Congratulations. So Thank you. Go find that. Actually, I'll, uh, we'll, we should just post a link to it on the Modern cool. Musicology Facebook page. Thank uh, well, you. all of our pages. You can find me, uh, as as well as uh, the square up here, Mr. Tuffley, on uh, the Need Coffee Weekend Justice podcast. I just want to say that. Um, also uh, on KDHX on Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 Central. Um, if you miss the show or you have something else going on, you can go online at kdhx.org. The shows are archived for two weeks, so you can listen to it whenever you want on the archive stream. Groovy. And you can find me on uh, the, the Book of Face, also on the Twitter, and on Post under, under Rob Levy. I don't know how I've done this, but every social media platform that exists, you can probably find me at Tuffley. Again, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that worked. Sorry about it, footballers. That's all I'm saying. Um, you can. Uh, that's pretty much the 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 point where you can connect to like all the playlists and any random stupid Dungeons and Dragons thing that happens to be blowing up. Uh, in addition to stupid things I might say about other television shows, but join me at Tuffley. Uh, talk about the randomizer because you've been doing that for years. Uh, well, it's a series of playlists based on a very dead web st streaming radio program I used to do 
um, in various forms and formats. And it's basically uh, new new stuff, old stuff, random stuff, indulgences. Uh, We try to do it every two weeks or so, but it comes when it comes. There you go. He pushes me so hard to be good at what I do. (laughs) Thank you, sir. (laughs) All right. You can find more of my shit at cosmicpress.com. K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com. And since Anthony is not here with us, I will say on his behalf that if you're a Doctor Who fan, you should go and look for his other podcast, which is Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. He and three of his American buddies have been watching Doctor Who from the very beginning up until uh, the mid part of Tom Baker's second season. So they have just announced that they're going in a bit of a hiatus, but... If you go and look for the show, there are still four and a half years of back episodes that you can delve into, and it's a fantastic show, so I highly encourage that you do so. Okay, next week, I am so excited that next week we're going to be interviewing Richard Evans, whose book, Listening to the Music the Machines Make, is all about the rise of electronic music in the 70s and the influence and impact that that had, and I'm halfway through the book and I love it. So I can't wait to talk to him about it. So everybody should go and read that book this week. So uh, you can uh, not be spoiled when we have our interview next week. All right, everybody take care. Have a great week. We will see you around the bend and keep rocking on. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.